Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitalist Spark podcast. Arizona's general election is right around the corner, and this presents an incredible opportunity for us, the collective us, to ensure that the people we elect and the policies that we pass set Arizona on a promising path toward improved health and well-being. Ballot measures, those oddly numbered paragraphs seeking your vote on the back of your ballot, may not always be top of mind during an election, but their existence and their implications are critically important to our state. Today, we're speaking with three local leaders who will give us their thoughts on a selection of ballot measures that are connected to civic health and health equity. Today, we're encouraging you, our listeners, to vote and to vote in support of community health and well-being. On a related note, you may not know this, but nonprofits are allowed to advocate for or against public policy. As a nonprofit that recognizes the community health implications of public policy, Vitalist Health Foundation is using our voice and taking a stance on seven of the 10 ballot measures. And we encourage others to do the same. At the end of this episode, I'll cover Vitalist positions on various ballot measures, which you can also find in the show notes. Let's dive in. I am just thrilled to be joined today for the Vitalist Spark podcast with three experts in the state of Arizona who are focused on the upcoming election and specifically the ballot measures that are going to be on our ballots when we vote, if we haven't voted already, because we should have already gotten our mail-in ballots in the mail. So first to the table from Lumen Strategies co-founder, Stacy Pearson. Stacy, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. And also from the American Business Immigration Center, Mr. Carlos Alfaro. Carlos, how are you? Very well. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining. And last but not least, from the Arizona Center for Economic Progress, he's the Director of Economic Policy, Mr. Andrew Shuguru. Andy, how are you today, sir? Doing well. Thank you for having me, Marcus. Glad everyone can be here. All right. We're talking about ballot measures. These are things where some people just roll their eyes at or they stare at them and their eyes get bloodshot and they think to themselves, does this even matter? What do all these numbers mean? Are these statements even accurate and truthful? So a question to the group before we actually dive into various propositions. What are ballot measures? And are they the same as things that we hear about in terms of citizens' initiatives and referendums and legislative referrals? Citizens' initiatives, ballot propositions in particular, were enshrined in Arizona's constitution. The founders who wrote the constitution in Arizona wanted a way around the legislature. There was a general, very sincere distrust of the government writ large. So it allowed for voters in Arizona to collect enough signatures and govern themselves without having to lobby a politician to pass law. So it allowed voters in Arizona to create laws of their own. It was first used then for women's suffrage for a number of years before the federal amendment was passed. Hmm. So lots of good things have come of a citizens' initiative process in the state. So why why should Arizonans care about the ballot measures, generally speaking? I would say that this is the way that we are represented, right? A lot of the times for a lot of the issues that have been passed over history of Arizona, there are issues that the legislature is not addressing and they're not adequately representing the public. So this is 
actually the closest form to, I think, the idea of that democracy that where citizens get together, know what's important to them, and they take the policy and they make it happen themselves. And so it's a little bit more of a representation of the, of the public and a very necessary part of, of our state democracy here. These are Arizonans' constitutional right to make these decisions. A fun fact about the Arizona State Constitution is that it describes the powers of the ballot initiatives before that of the legislature. So maybe that gives us a little insight into how important this is historically for Arizonans. And so I consider it important because it both provides an accountability measure for the legislature to make sure that they're executing the will of the people. But in some cases, the legislature is actually putting questions to Arizona voters themselves because they want to confirm or they need it or they need a majority of Arizonans to be able to sign off on certain things. And certain a few of these show up on this year's ballot. And so that's when you see things called referendum that are referred to the ballot from the legislature, correct? Yeah. So referendums come in two flavors. One is when the legislature asks voters to sign off on something like this year, Proposition 310 raises sales tax in order to pay for fire firefighters and fire districts. Another version of a referendum is when voters don't like something the legislature has done and they collect signatures right away afterward. And so we did that in 2018 with Proposition 305, where empowerment scholarship accounts were rejected soundly by the voters. So let's talk about some of those previous initiatives that have been passed or not been passed. So for those of us who who don't follow this process every single day or every two years, and we're thinking, well, what kind of things is it? Are they good? Are they bad that are often put onto the ballot? What are some of the most impactful ballot initiatives or ballot measures that you can think of in the past? I'm a little biased on this one, but marijuana legalization in the last cycle in 2020 prevented tens of thousands of people from getting arrested for minor marijuana possession, saving the government hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of incarceration, prosecution, education funding has been something that the voters certainly support in a variety of different forms. We're talking some really interesting basic things too, like prohibiting smoking indoors in bars and restaurants and hospitals and offices in Arizona. That was by way of by way of the ballot initiative. <clears throat> and then then things that you wouldn't normally expect, like the cruel confinement, banning cruel confinement of animals on farms. So putting pigs in gestational cages or banning leg traps that capture animals then to just die a horrible death in the desert. To I think Carlos's point, those were issues that the legislature refused to take up and the and the residents of Arizona took it upon themselves to govern. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a number of really important ones. Of course. Gentlemen, any others come to mind? Proposition 206 back in 2016 raised the Arizona minimum wage and provided paid sick leave and things like that. That was passed by a strong majority of voters. For a while there, Arizona's minimum wage was actually quite competitive relative to other states. And so it was a testament to the organizers that got that on the ballot, wanted to make that popular (laughs) change happen that the legislature refused to. And of course, I work for the AZ Center, so I can't go this without saying. In 2000, Arizona's passed Prop 301, which today constitutes over a billion dollars in K-12 funding every single year. And so these are the resources that our kids and teachers are making use of today. 
thanks to the voters in 2000. Thanks for that background information, everyone. I, I really think it's important, especially for, you know, when we're talking to friends or family or colleagues who are saying like, I, I don't really understand the voting process and ballot measures and how it works or whether it's important. It's kind of important just to start off just level setting with this is what they are. This is why they exist. And here's some examples of important measures that have passed in previous elections in order to improve the state of Arizona. Vitalist Health Foundation is hosting this podcast. We are a health foundation. It's not very typical that a health foundation talks about things like ballot initiatives. It's even less typical that a foundation hosts something where we're trying to encourage our audience to act in favor of the way that we are acting. And by that, I mean that Vitalist is actually taking positions on various ballot measures this year. As a nonprofit, we are able to have voice in these processes. And so we want to give additional explanation and additional insights into why Vitalist and the organizations on this call have decided to weigh in and are, are working in the ways that they are. I want to start off and we're going to just kind of go in the order of the ballot propositions that people are going to see on their ballots. The first one is Prop 128. On your ballots, you will see Proposition 128 and it will say this. The constitutional amendment would allow the legislature to amend, divert funds from, or supersede an initiative or referendum measure enacted by the people of Arizona if the measure is found to contain illegal or unconstitutional language by the Arizona or United States Supreme Court. So if a previous initiative was determined to be illegal or unconstitutional, the legislature could then go back and amend it or do anything they thought was necessary to do with it. Stacy, others on the call. On the surface, this seems like a good idea. What's really behind this? So this is most certainly one of the three wolves in sheep's clothing that are the 100s, the 100 numbered propositions. It is a constitutional change proposed by the Arizona legislature that would be extraordinarily difficult to, to fix. And the best example of what this would do is on marijuana legalization, both for medical purposes and for recreational use. It remains illegal at the federal level. So the legislature could have gone in after 60% of voters in Arizona approved to legalize marijuana last cycle. They could go in and eliminate the provisions that legalized marijuana or paraphernalia, they could have changed the tax rate, which was extraordinarily important to Arizona voters. They could change the tax rate from the rate set that was very competitive to 250%, for example. They could have, instead of dedicated the money to community colleges, public safety, public health, they could have rerouted the money to the state's general fund. It literally allows them to just go in there and tinker with initiatives that the voters have passed. I think it's important to note about the, uh, I guess what's behind this, right? People that are at the legislature that don't like to share the, the power of policymaking with the public. They wanna be the only ones to be able to pass laws. And sometimes the public is not in accordance with what they wanna pass. And so they wanna stop them from doing so, whether it be to increase prices on, on signatures or even these restrictions. So. I think it's important to see where the opposition is coming to this. 
And Prop 128 would really challenge and undermine something in Arizona State. You asked for our favorite ballot initiatives earlier. I probably should have said Prop 105 from 1998, which is the Voter Protection Act, which really gives voters and initiatives a lot of power in terms of when you vote for something on the ballot, when you vote for a ballot proposition, that is very hard to change after the fact. And that's by design because they wanted to give voters a lot of this power. Prop 128 and some others on the ballot this year, in doing so, when change, in, in being able to give the legislature permission to change certain things passed by voters, it erodes the power of voters directly and gives it to the legislature and the courts. And so if we're talking about a little bit about our civic health and our, the health of our democracy, this it is an anti-democratic piece of legislation on Prop 128. And I completely understand and agree with everything that everyone said. And and I often hear certain parties who are behind this, actually, that are pushing this forward are saying, listen, we, we at the legislature have no way of changing a voter approval initiative once it's passed. Well, I'd correct them by saying the Voter Protection Act does give them an avenue. They just need three quarters of the legislature to do it. Pretty insurmountable. But if if three quarters of the legislature could cobble together, if they want to meet that threshold, that is there for them to do on this type of constitutional matter. One super quick flag. The Again, the first, the Arizona's direct democracy was first used to give women the right to vote ahead of suffrage. This policy would have made that impossible. All right. Prop 128. I'm hearing a resounding vote. No. Let's move on. Prop 129. When you look at your ballots and you look at Proposition 129, the language will state, this constitutional amendment would limit an initiative measure to a single subject and require that the subject be expressed in the title of the initiative measure. It's another one of those that on the surface seems like it could be an okay thing to do. Sounds simple enough. Is that the case? Most certainly not. This is the second of the three wolves in sheep's clothing in that single subject really means single statute. And most problems that need solutions require adjustments to multiple sections of state law. And not to keep going back to marijuana, but it's a recent example 60% of voters are familiar with and supportive of. And so in the marijuana initiative, we legalized paraphernalia, which is one section of statute legalized marijuana itself, which is another section of statute, set a tax rate for sales for recreational marijuana, which is a section, another section dedicated where that revenue went. And then most importantly, defined expungement in state law. There was never a vehicle to expunge criminal records in the state of Arizona before Prop 207 last cycle. That would have been five separate initiatives. We couldn't have just done one that allowed for legalization of paraphernalia, flour, set a tax rate, dedicated the revenue to issues that were important to Arizona voters and not the legislature, then most importantly, created a vehicle for expungement. So it sounds great, but it makes these getting complex problems solved extremely difficult. I like the way you stated that. I mean, most of these issues that are brought forth to the ballot are complex problems. So to think that you're going to solve complex problems with a single line in a single subject for ballot measures is likely unrealistic. Well, and as anybody that's 
run or, or supported any ballot initiative knows there's so many steps and processes to, to make it happen. There's legal challenges beforehand, during, and afterward. And this would just be adding to, I think, the, the complexity there and the waste of time and resources to handle these legal questions. And to provide more contrast here, this is putting in additional impediments and rules in for voter-approved initiatives. Meanwhile, the legislature, it's pretty much wild west over there in terms of the rules of how things are done over there. And so they can cobble together 100 bills in one night. They could pass them in the middle of the night without anyone else noticing. But when it comes to the voters' initiatives, they're putting these additional rules and restrictions in place. And so I think it kind of shows, once again, how the legislature is wishing to take some authority away from voters. So what of the argument, though, that the state legislature was recently told that for their budgeting process, they have to have only single subjects in their budgets. Otherwise, it's deemed illegal. So shouldn't there be some sort of fairness between the legislature having to have a single subject and the voter approved initiatives having a single subject as well? The difference there is that, to Andrew's point, the legislature can cobble together 100 bills and pass them in a night. The voters are already protected in the initiative process in that every page, every single proposed change to the text has to be stapled to the petition when voters are signing to qualify an initiative for the ballot to begin with. So there are already transparency requirements so voters can see, okay, this thing isn't just legalization, it's legalization and expungement. And it takes voters one second to flip through that. Another really important example is the prohibition of smoking indoors. The statutes that govern what happens in hospitals are different than restaurants and bars and offices and doctor's offices and elementary schools and high schools and colleges. And so each one of those sections of statute would have been a separate initiative to ban smoking inside those facilities. So it becomes so cumbersome to actually solve a real problem that I think the legislature is intentionally trying to discourage people from doing it at all. Carlos, would this have had implications for any previously passed education-related initiatives? I think so. And I think that was one of the things that happened with Prop 208 after a majority of Arizonans voted to pass this, including Republicans and independents. Knowing the huge support that education funding has and for the court to just go back and, and overturn that, I mean, this would be giving yet another tool for things like that to happen, for all of those resources, time and votes that pass this to really go to waste. All right. Last call on Prop 129. We're doing this over Zoom and I'm, I'm seeing a resounding thumbs down on 129. Let's move on to Prop 132. When you look at your ballots and read Prop 132, it'll say this. The constitutional amendment would require that an initiative or referendum to approve a tax receives 60% of the votes cast to become law. Any sort of initiative that has a tax increase would need 60% approval of Arizona's voters. 60% is certainly majority, doesn't seem ridiculously high. Maybe I can make an argument that it's even a better majority than 51%. So why is this not such a good idea? We talked earlier about how ballot initiatives allow voters to make the decisions when the legislature refuses to. 
And that's not just restricted to laws. It also is on how the legislature spends money. When for years, Arizonans have noticed how Arizona state government has underfunded key areas of government, including schools, early childhood programs, what have you, the voters have gone to the ballot to raise revenue themselves for those shared priorities, the things that Arizonans want. But now the legislature is saying, hold up, we want to be able to have voters reject this by only 41% of voters being able to vote no and kill off any proposal to raise revenue to put our funds where our priorities are, where the majority of Arizonans want them to go. This is a pretty dangerous power grab that would pretty directly end majority rule. This would this would enshrine for the first time, you know, something in, in, in statute that says if you get less than 50 percent, you win. I can indulge here. These supermajority requirements have a pretty sordid history. It's the first ones came in the 1890s during Reconstruction when you had biracial governments attempting to raise revenue for key things like schools and infrastructure to rebuild the South. They enacted supermajority requirements in order to protect white wealth. And so I fear that we are repeating some history here with Proposition 132. And so the Arizona Center is, is very opposed to this one, not only because it, it would hold us back from being able to invest in our priorities, but it would also etch in what is already an upside down and uneven unfair tax code. We need to make corporations only pay what they owe. And this would freeze Arizona's ability to do that. And Andy, I know you were recently on a television program kind of talking about this. And your colleague who was on the other side of the argument, the host had asked that person, well, should should the 60% rule also apply to any sort of like tax decreases, essentially, if they were to try to be enshrined through the ballot? And they didn't have a good answer for that. So why do you think that is? I think it's, it's because it shows what their priorities are. If we look at the folks who are supporting Prop 132, it's the same people that have supported the tax cuts that have gone disproportionately to the wealthy and to profitable corporations in Arizona. They want to move the goalposts so it makes it harder to potentially raise revenue in the future. And so while we as the AZ Center, you know, <laughs> we, we we think the majority should be able to change the tax code when they want, whenever whenever it wants, based on a simple majority, we shouldn't be putting impediments here for, for the legislature or the voters in order to make these changes. It represents, to your question, a, a little bit of the hypocrisy in that question a little bit. Let's get as practical as possible now. In the past, different initiatives that have been passed, if this law had been in place when those initiatives were passed, what would the outcome have been? Would some of those funding opportunities that generated revenue in the state still be in place or would they been left to some other vehicle to try to get funding for? Arizona is a revenue neutral state for citizens initiatives. So every single citizens initiative has to have a funding source to pay for itself. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just inspecting restaurants to ensure workers are being paid new minimum wage. It requires a revenue source for absolutely everything. So the trick on the ballot language is it sounds great. Like, oh, of course we want a supermajority to raise my taxes. And people are thinking that means my property taxes or my sales tax or my income tax. This is everything. This is every single initiative that voters will ever decide on. It has to have a fee or a revenue source. 
and the Arizona Supreme Court has already decided that a fee is a tax. So it's everything. So just in the last 20 years or so, some things that are that are considered really good governance would not have passed. We wouldn't have been able to legalize tribal gaming. I go back to this banning smoking indoors. That would have failed. Legalizing medical marijuana would have failed. Raising the minimum wage to $12 in 2016 would have failed. Using tobacco settlement money to fund children's health programs. Giving the tobacco settlement money to children's health programs would have failed in the state of Arizona. Creating an independent redistricting commission and funding the existence of it would have failed. The corporation commission making it five members, not three also would have failed. Mm-hmm. I mean, some things that we really just take for granted in the state right now would not have been the law of the land. I know the Smoke-Free Arizona Act is something that we as a health foundation really, really focus on. And it's wild to think, you know, there's there's a young generation of folks who have never had the experience of walking into a restaurant or a public space and having somebody smoking readily right next to you. And that doesn't happen anymore because of what the citizens of Arizona have said that they wanted through this process. And so to think that there's some sort of an initiative that wants to do away with the opportunity for Arizonans to to create laws like that and to raise revenue for the state through those sorts of penalties then doesn't sound like a very good idea, particularly when the legislature hasn't been very adept at, at taking up those sorts of issues. Reiterating what Andrew had said earlier, I was just recently sitting with a state legislator who said, this is, uh, this is something that will give me a different set of rules to go by and the citizens of Arizona, a different set of rules. So like this is creating yet again, one out of the three here, a different set of rules for policymakers to make laws and for citizens to make it super hard or even impossible. And I can't underscore enough what Stacy mentioned. You look at Prop 132 and think it only has to do with taxes. This is everything. Mm-hmm. The sponsors behind Prop 132 made it perfectly clear that if they could, they would change the constitution so that a, a 60% threshold would be required on every ballot measure that goes before voters. And they're trying to sneak it through with 132 by focusing on taxes. And so I wouldn't be fooled by 132. It is everything. It is not just taxes. And it's it's wild too. I mean, we we had the Center for the Future of Arizona on recently, and they're talking about some of their recent Arizona voters agenda and how we as Arizona is actually, there's a lot of things that we do agree upon. We kind of differ in in the how and like the nuances of each piece, but there's some big picture things that we all agree upon. Yet nuance is often played out in these ballot initiatives. And so Stacy, you're kind of making a comment with with tobacco, using tobacco taxes to fund children's health programs. Sounds like something where at least a large majority of Arizonans would have been in favor of on the on the ballot, but I think it passed with maybe 54, 55% approval rate. So again, that threshold of 60 on its face doesn't seem like it's that high, but when it plays out, these are often pretty razor thin margins that most of these initiatives get approved by. Exactly. And I think Arizonans, I think, expect to see a reproductive choice initiative in 2024. The concept of getting 60% of voters to agree on anything in this divisive climate is a stretch. So if women are concerned about the territorial ban on abortion, and want to go to the ballot box in 2024 and restore rights, 132 needs to fail. It's that simple. All right. 132, vote no. All right, Carlos, Prop 308. When you all read on your ballots, Proposition 308, it states, 
It would allow Arizona students, regardless of immigration status, to be eligible for financial aid at state universities and community colleges and in-state tuition if they graduated from and attended a public or private high school or homeschool equivalent for two years in Arizona. Carlos, who are these Arizona students, regardless of immigration status, that this ballot proposition is referring to? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is regarding 3,600 Arizona students that are graduating every single year. And these are the Arizona student dreamers that we've talked about. So these are students that were brought here when they were very young by no choice of their own. And they've grown up in our schools. They've gone to our churches. They've played in our little league team. So these are 100% Arizona kids in every scenario, except that their parents are undocumented and they were brought here when they were young. And so when you look at polling across the spectrum, just to, to talk about student dreamers, across the political spectrum, people support these kids because they know they don't know any other country but this one as their home. And so regardless of what's happening in the federal level with immigration reform, which needs to happen, it, it just seems so slow moving, we need to take a stand as a state, and, and many of us have already, in supporting these students. So right now, these students have to pay almost three times more than any other student, not because of who they are, of the grades that they earn, but just, just because of not having the right documentation. And so Prop 308 would allow any person, regardless of immigration status, to, to obtain that in-state tuition. They don't want any special path, any special treatment. All they want is the same fair shot as every other student. And I think that message resonates the most just because out of any other political campaign that I see on the ballot, this one is bringing more people together. We have Democrats, independents, Republicans coming together to support this because they not only see that this is right morally for these students, but it's also good for the state. The latest economic impact report showed that there was about $28 million increase in spending power every single year by these students. So affecting a lot of students' lives, bringing a lot of money into our economy, and doing all of this with no new taxes. This is why this Prop 308 just makes a lot of sense. Can you give those figures one more time? How many students and how much revenue generated each year? So it's 3,600 students every single year that would be eligible to obtain in-state tuition. And the spending power that these students bring by obtaining in-state tuition is about $28 million per year to the state economy. And so that's an addition every single year, an extra 28, an extra 28. And so I think that that's what makes this like a common sense initiative is that people not only see the, the moral side to it, and, and we can imagine ourselves being in these kids' shoes of not knowing or having any fault in who they are, but having these barriers put up in, in front of them. And we did this in early 2000, about 2006, when Prop 300, this was during the time of Sheriff Joe Arpaio, the SB 1070 crowd. This was going on to target certain groups of people in our community. And so as we unelected those people, and as more movements came to, to bring fairness to the state, this is one of the last remaining symbols of that time, of that dark time in Arizona history. And so this this would be a huge win, not only for Arizona, but for the rest of the country, as other states look to us to see, is this going to pass here? So there's 3,600 students. You mentioned that regardless of their grades or or how well they're doing, like 
even they could be straight A students and still have to pay out of state tuition essentially if they stayed in Arizona post secondary schools. Is there an element of brain drain for the state of Arizona that's threatened in the current system where high achieving DACA students could say, I, I could stay in Arizona and pay X, or I could go a couple of states over and pay the exact same amount because Arizona provides me no benefit. Absolutely. And we've seen it with several, several student stories, stories that we feature through the campaign to show people really what the choices are. You know, some of these students are even getting into Harvard and other Ivy League schools and choosing that over Arizona State, which was their first choice because of the price, because of the, the ridiculous barrier that we put in front of them. The sad part of that is that other students aren't so lucky. And so their choices are, I either pay three times more or I don't go to school at all. Mm -hmm. And so those are the, the stories that really are heartbreaking. What could have become of that student, what they could have achieved if this barrier wasn't put in front of them. And so that's why I think two thirds of Arizona voters now, when they're polled, agree that they should pay the same. And that message of fairness really drives it home. It's not that they're asking or getting anything in benefit. They, they're just wanting to pay the same amount. Do you have numbers of that amount off the top of your head? Yeah, I think the latest Arizona Republic op-ed showed this, but it in-state tuition is around $10,000, $12,000, depending on how you're going over there. This would make it so that the students that are coming out of state or these students that are paying that are in our state, that are paying that out-of-state rate or is closer to about 30000 So again, it's much more for the same students and it's just not fair. I think most people see it. Um, sadly, we've seen some disorganized opposition to this. You know, when the Secretary of State asked for arguments for and against this proposition, the community gathered. We had over 55 arguments where people in business, philanthropy, nonprofits, they all got together and wrote arguments for this. And only four people on the other side were able to write arguments. So there was only four in opposition. And it's the same crew that passed that earlier law in 2006, banning people from getting this benefit. And that is people that are really in the minority here, but have a big platform to talk about it. What I remember, Carlos, we're the only Southwestern state not to pass some type of inclusive policy like this for immigrants. You can get in-state tuition in all of our neighboring states and Texas, but not here in Arizona. And so I feel like we're behind the ball here. Absolutely. Andrew's right. Yeah, and yet another list that we would rather not be in. I think we're only one. We're in the, uh, four states that actually ban it in law. Arizona is one of four states that actually bans undocumented students from getting what they earned in school. One last point is the Arizona State Legislature, with its conservative majority, realizes it's time to do the right thing for these kids and referred this to the ballot. And so when the Arizona legislature gets it right, it's time for voters to also take a look and, and rethink this extraordinarily draconian policy. So if I'm hearing this right, do we get to recommend to all of our listeners and every everyone in their families and their entire circles of friends that we get to vote in support of something? All right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think the biggest challenge for this initiative is awareness. You ask most people, they're there, like they agree with the concept, but many don't know that it is actually on the ballot. And even though this is a large effort, because of all the other races that are so close and so large, this has the danger of kind of staying in the background and people not knowing about it. So we're doing everything we can for, for that awareness to race. All right. Prop 308, everyone. 
vote yes. Last one, gang. Prop 309. To our audience, when you look at your ballot and you read about Prop 309, it'll say this. It would require voters to write their birth date, government-issued identification number, and signature on a concealed early ballot affidavit. It would require photo identification to vote in person and require that the Arizona Department of Transportation provide without charge a non-operating identification license to individuals who request one for voting purposes. Seems common sense that when you vote, you should prove that you are who you say you are. Is that the case with this one? We already do, is the argument. So when we sign our early ballot and someone at the county recorder's office where you live confirms your ballot that has your name on the envelope and your address on the envelope and your signature on the envelope, these extra steps are simply designed to disqualify additional votes. And it's a scenario where you don't even have to take my word for it. The entirety of Arizona's county recorders have come out in opposition to this bill. It's going to make their jobs harder. It's going to make the counting of ballots delayed in a situation where folks are already frustrated by how long it takes to get final results. So it's a solution in search of a problem. We have an extraordinarily secure system that does already verify a voter's ID. And this is just a dirty trick to disqualify additional ballots. At Vitalist, we also have a strong focus on equity and understanding where certain disparities may or may not exist in various health metrics, including civic health metrics. And I know that there are significant disparities within different racial groups and based off of income in terms of populations' abilities to readily produce a government-issued ID right when they're at the polls. So this also seems to be an equity issue. Is this something that, Andrew, you in the center, or Carlos, y'all are focused on as well? 309, that is. While the center has not taken an official position on 309, I, in my personal capacity, can agree with everything that Stacey is saying. The effects of Prop 309, if passed, which I hope it is not, would be disproportionately felt by those who have not readily available photo ID every time you vote. Say you vote in primaries, you have to, you, you have to, you have to produce that at every, every single time, even though when you register to vote, you provide these documents on the first go around. The first go around should be enough. You shouldn't have to re- reproduce this all the time. And so in my personal capacity, I, I agree with what Stacey's saying about this one. It's a solution in search of a problem. So it looks like we had a positive one in 308. We're all gung-ho about and we're back to back to the opposition. Proposition 309, vote no. All right, let's take a step back from the individual propositions. Like I started off saying at the beginning of this podcast episode, we're a health foundation. A lot of the folks who are listening to this are going to be health-oriented in some way, whether they're working in the healthcare sphere, or they're working in public health, or they're working in areas like housing and they see the connection to health. For those who are focused on improving community health, why should they care about these matters that we've just spoken to? Why is the education of dreamers important to community health? Why is the ability to vote important to community health? Why is the ability to have your voice heard important to creating healthier communities? 
I think it's part of belonging. Not only are we belonging and, and kind of making our own lives, but the fact that we have to live with millions of other people as neighbors, we have to be engaged not only with them. And this is one way to be engaged with your neighbors is to, to talk about these issues and to actually be engaged in it. There's a big portion of health that goes along with being able to be heard and collaborate with your neighbors. I completely agree with what Carlos just said, and I'd argue it's even more direct than that. The funding of fire districts is on our ballot this cycle. When you call 911 and you need a paramedic to respond to a health crisis, it's on the ballot this year, whether or not, it, and it includes a tax increase. And right now it needs a simple majority to pass. If some of these others, if some of these 100 propositions also pass future funding for mental health services and fire districts and paramedics and police, county hospital districts are all at risk. These ballot measures are the ways by which Arizonans exercise their freedoms. This is the way that Arizona has done this you know, since statehood, since a healthy suspicion of government gave Arizona voters an extra say in the process. And so, like Stacey is saying, sometimes this shows up really directly on some of these tobacco ballot measures that passed in the past. Those came with infusions into early childhood programs. Those early childhood programs provided a place for children to develop and grow and become healthy Arizonans that are walking around today. So I think that that's a really vivid, close example. But I think it, I think going back to even weighing in on something that doesn't have to do with taxes, it doesn't have to do with early childhood programs. This is the way we create a healthy democracy. And so I think this, that, that's something that's reverberating up and down the ballot this year. And so I think that flipping over our ballots and looking at these propositions closely can help us get us to more, you know, a more healthy democracy. Well stated, everybody. All right. Last call. Last question. Got an audience out there. They've just heard a lot about, they just heard a ton of numbers, 305, 128, 129, 209, propositions from the past, propositions that are on the ballot this year. What's the one thing that you want the audience to remember from this conversation? We can make it really simple. It would be vote no on the 100s, vote yes on the 200s, and split your 300s. Give dreamers a fighting chance, support in-state tuition for those kids. I would say ballot initiatives are very important. There's an effort that is organized to try to derail that system and diminish our voice. So it's important to be engaged in these ballot initiatives. And I, I, I wouldn't leave without reminding everybody to vote yes on 308 as it's the most inclusive and very important ballot initiative. You both are stealing my thunder. No, it's very, no, I agree. I agree with what Stacey is saying. That's an easy mnemonic to remember what, how we, how we vote. But I would just argue there are even friends of mine, friends who are pretty civically engaged, whose eyes glaze over when you talk start talking about ballot initiatives. My my message to votes to folks that are listening, make sure you're you're flipping over your ballot. Make sure your aunt and your uncle and your cousin and your friends are flipping over their ballots. There's tons of resources out there in order to be able to learn more about these, even though they look complicated. It boils down to the simple things that we talked about on this call. And on behalf of the AZ Center, I will say vote no on 132, vote yes on 308. Stacy Pearson, Andy Shugru, and Carlos Alfaro, thank you so much for all that you've done for these ballot measures. And thank you so much for offering your time and insights to the Vitalist Spark podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
Without fail, determining how to vote on ballot measures is challenging. It requires time, knowledge of the process, and a basic understanding of the content. In total, there are 10 measures on the Arizona ballot in 2022. And today's episode only featured four of the seven measures in which Vitalist has taken a position. So let me try to keep things simple. Vote no on propositions 128, 132, and 309. These ideas jeopardize civic health by silencing the voice and eroding the power of Arizona's voters. 132 specifically would have devastating effects. Next, vote yes on Propositions 209, 211, 308, and 310. These propositions hold great promise to protect vulnerable Arizonans from the downward spiral of medical bankruptcy. They can build transparency and civility in our elections, provide fair tuition rates to all Arizonans, and fund Arizona's fire districts, all of which help to create healthier communities. And to all of our listeners, remember to make your voice heard in the upcoming election on November 8th and vote. Once again, vote like the health of Arizona depends on it. Because, well, it does. As always, many thanks to the team at Gordon C. James Public Relations and Rob Trigg at Star Worldwide Networks for production and sound design. Until next time, Take care of yourselves and each other.